Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So Johns Hopkins University put out this 62-page study... Um, a literature review and meta-analysis of the effects of lockdowns on COVID-19 mortality. I read a lot of it, but I'll jump to the summary because I think it's pretty damn good. Now, let me throw this in because I want to give myself some cred before I start rambling about this. I read the Wall Street Journal report and uh, about um, excess deaths over the last two years. I don't know if you've heard people talking about this. I buy it. I've listened to enough smart people that I trust talk about this. We've had a million excess deaths. They have a way of calculating that. They know every year roughly how many people are going to die because it's relatively consistent. It increases X percent. This happens, everything like that. We had a million excess deaths. So the most likely thing, and I know a lot of you are going to argue with this, but the most likely thing is that we're undercounting the number of people that have died of COVID. It gets complicated, of course, if you have bad health and you get COVID and you die. Was it 51% your blood pressure and 49% COVID, or how do you figure that out? But Right, that's really difficult. There's both undercounting and overcounting, and it's difficult to know what the net is. But it would seem that without COVID, you would have had a million fewer deaths. So I'm just throwing that out there to show I'm not just a, uh, just a anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, COVID isn't real guy. I believe a million people have died from COVID, even though the official numbers are 800,000. But back to this, the Johns Hopkins studies. Overall, our meta-analysis fails to confirm that lockdowns have had a large, significant effect on mortality rates. Studies examining the relationship between lockdown strictness, based on this index that they used, and it's very complicated, find that the average lockdown in Europe and the United States only reduced COVID-19 mortality by 0.2%. 
compared to a COVID-19 policy based solely on recommendations. Shelter-in-place orders were also ineffective. They only reduced COVID mortality by 2.9%. The, the, the recommendations means, and this is what Johns Hopkins study is, is recommending uh, that we do next time this happens. God help us if it ever happens in our lifetime. Just put the information out there. Tell people, hey, look, this is the COVID that's around. This is what we think would be a good idea. Let people make their own decisions. Um, you would get a tiny bit, a 0.2% better outcome. And that's probably within the margin of error mm-hmm. of people dying. If you just gave recommendations as opposed to the government, your county, your city, your state, or the federal government coming in and saying you got to be shut down. Well, and I want to make sure people understand that other statistic, too. If you engage in the most draconian of shutdowns, you won't even get to 3% better you know, results. So instead of 100 people dying, you got a little more 97 dying in the most draconian lockdowns. Studies looking at specific um, ways to mitigate deaths, lockdown versus no lockdown, face masks, closing non-essential businesses, border closures, school closures, limiting gatherings, also find no broad-based evidence of noticeable effects on COVID-19 mortality. All those things I just listed, which is incredible. How is this not the number one news story in America today? I know, I know. And there's there's more, but go on. However, back to Johns Hopkins. However, closing non-essential businesses seems to have had some effect, it says here, uh, by a certain percentage, which is likely related to the closure of bars. They do think closing bars had some effect. Because of the way bars are. You're standing close together. You're you're talking really loud. Yeah! Yeah! My brother's coming this weekend! Spit flying everywhere. (laughs) Um, Also, masks may reduce COVID-19 mortality, but there's only one study that examines universal mask mandates. The effect of border closures, school closures, and limiting gatherings on COVID-19 mortality yields precision-weighted estimates of between 0.1% and 1.6%. Those are awful low percentages. Given the incredible damage we've done to the children, I would say. Lockdowns compared to no lockdowns also do not reduce COVID-19 mortality. Discussion portion portion of the 62-page paper. Overall, we conclude at Johns Hopkins that lockdowns are not an effective way of reducing mortality rates during a pandemic. At least not during the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our results are in line with the World Health Organization writing from 2006... Because they studied this with other shutdowns and other pandemics around the world. Reports from the 1918 influenza pandemic indicate that social distancing measures did not stop or appear to dramatically reduce transmission. In Edmonton, Canada, isolation and quarantine were instituted. Public meetings were banned. Schools, churches, colleges, theaters, and other public gatherings were closed. And business hours were restricted without obvious impact on the epidemic. Our findings are also in line with the uh, with another study, Allen 2021. The most recent research has shown that lockdowns have had at best a marginal effect on the number of COVID-19 deaths. What's especially frustrating about this, and the invaluable uh, COVID correspondent Kevin uh, sent this to us weeks and weeks ago, and I actually I talked about it once or twice on the air, that both in 2017 and 2019, the WHO and the CDC put out reports on pandemic planning. Big, authoritative, scientifically solid reports on pandemic preparedness. And they wrote in both of those reports that mass quarantines don't work. 
There's no scientific basis for it, but, quote, might be pursued for social or political purposes by political leaders rather than pursued because of public health evidence. They knew in advance it wouldn't work. But after watching the news out of China, they panicked. And and the politicians, who didn't know what the frig they're talking about, won the day. And then, you know, what happened next, as Kevin points out, is like the scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration. Do you remember when we were talking about that? That was a large group of respected scientists who said the lockdowns are a bad idea. There's no reason to do it. We need to stop. They were vilified and censored. Their funding was cut. Their positions were, were severed. For daring to say what all the major health authorities had said in advance, and then as we're getting toward the tail end of it, precisely what Johns Hopkins is saying again. For that, they were vilified and canceled. Good Lord, people. Keep just trusting your beloved authorities. So uh, now this is from the end of the report, and this gets into the damage that it did. What does the evidence tell us about the effects of lockdowns on mortality? We provide a firm answer to this question. The evidence fails to confirm that lockdowns have had a significant effect on reducing COVID-19 mortality. The effect is little to none. The use of lockdowns is a unique feature of COVID-19, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lockdowns have not been used to such a large extent during any of the pandemics of the past century. However, lockdowns during the initial phase of the COVID-19 pandemic have had devastating effects. They have contributed to reducing economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, contributing to domestic violence, and undermining liberal democracy. Other than that, it's been fine. Well, and they didn't even get more heavily into the mental health aspects, especially for the young. These costs to society must be compared to the benefits of lockdowns, which our meta-analysis has shown are marginal at best. Such a standard benefit cost calculation leads to a strong conclusion lockdowns should be rejected out of hand as a pandemic policy instrument. How do you like that? And again, if you're just tuning in, that is Johns Hopkins' major study, which echoes the findings of multiple previous major studies pre-pandemic that all said the same thing. And yet, we did it. We did it to the children. And and the teachers' unions, never forget, did it beyond all reason, far beyond the point that people were back in bars and ball games and the rest of it, abusing the little children. I, I you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I guess that's enough. Oh, it's frustrating. But it wasn't just the U.S. that did it. Although the U.S. has done it more than most. Do I have time for this? Yeah. Um, sure. Because uh, I came across this yesterday. Uh, Stand by, everybody. Stall. Okay, this is a journalist. Um, this is my first day back in New York since returning to the United States last month after four and a half months in Germany, says this journalist. When I was in New York over the summer, you could sense things were opening up. But now the contrast with Germany seems so stark, especially as regards to the basic fact of people going to work. In Germany, even during the rough Delta surge of November and December, many people were still going to work, going downtown. The regional trains from the suburbs were still heavily used. You had to search for a seat. The train stations were bustling in Berlin, and she mentioned some other German towns. In New York, my goodness, Penn Station and shiny new Moynihan Hall are ghostly. There are no commuter crowds. Newsstands are closed. The bar at Moynihan closes at 8 in New York City. Wow. So who was more willing to goose step to the arbitrary Ooh. dictates of the authorities? Ooh. The, the U.S. was. Our people were. You know why? Do you know why? 
Because Trump said open the schools. Ah, that's a lot of it. You're you're absolutely right. Trump Trump downplayed it. So you had to go. The, you know that is a lot of it. To prove you hated Trump, you had to act as though the COVID justified anything and everything. Because Trump was the other way. That is what it's. I will. I may never see anything so astounding for the rest of my life. Probably not. Armstrong and Getty. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't understand yeah, really what this is about, sure. except it sounds like maybe people are just being lazy. Are you encouraging people well, sure. to be so, lazy? Um, so I think laziness is um, a virtue in a society where people constantly want you to be productive 24-7, and it's good to have rest. Um, that doesn't mean you should be resting all the time or not putting effort into things that you care about. What do, what do you call that when uh, you, 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 you posit somebody else's position as, uh, as something that's way further than what you're saying? I think there's a Latin phrase, but it's a straw man. You're creating a straw man, then bravely beating it up. It's, it's a position nobody holds. Anyway, we were talking about this, the anti-work Reddit thread that I had come across just kind of accidentally um, and then it grabbed several posts from that were just amazing. There are 1.7 million people on the anti-work reddit thread and it fits in with other stuff we've been talking about over the last several weeks both from 60 minutes in the wall street journal and other places about this move toward um either just deciding you know work is i don't think the whole work thing is for me <laughs> which is hilarious really when you think about when i say it, when i say it out loud or uh, only if i can find a job that makes my heart sing or you shouldn't have to do demeaning labor better to not work at all and the fact that we no longer um, stigmatize idleness. Well, you just, that, that person just, you know, they haven't found the job that they enjoy yet. So that's why they continue to take money from the government or live with their parents or whatever. But anyway, so uh, Jesse Waters on Fox got on this person from the anti-work subreddit to speak about it. And here's a little explanation of maybe some of the misconceptions around the thread. 
So there's some misconceptions about the movement. Um, so we're a movement where we want to reduce the amount of work that people feel like they they're forced to to do, um, and so we want to still put in effort. We want to put in labor, um, but we don't want to necessarily uh, be in a position where we feel trapped. You know, um, you just quoted from Office Space, where that person feels very trapped in their job. I think we're calling for a society where there's less of that. Um, but yeah, absolutely, people still want to do things. They just want to do things where they feel rewarded and they feel like they're in a good spot in their life uh and that their job respects them and stuff like that hmm. so uh how many of you listen right now got a job that uh, you feel like you're respected and rewarded and that it just makes your heart sing or even if you got one of those jobs now how about other jobs when you were younger how many of those were you really rewarded for your efforts and felt respected i got several jobs where i was treated like the uyghurs in china Oof. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, here's a different way to put it, um, and, and I, I address this even to folks working fabulous jobs, their dream jobs, making a lot of money, whatever. I happen to have something close to my dream job, and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Will they hang on to you a second after you're not worth the trouble anymore? The second after you're not paying for yourself, you know? That's that's the bargain you strike with the world. At the moment you're not bringing the value that you're demanding, you're gone. Can you play that again? Just the, like the first sentence I found uh, odd. So there's some misconceptions about the movement. Um, so we're a movement where we want to reduce the amount of work that people feel like they f- they're forced to, to do. Okay, um, we want to reduce can be a real challenge. The, the amount of work that people feel like they're forced to do. That's all work, practically. That's that's an idiot child spouting nonsense. Right. That's what that is. Pretty much everybody is getting up and going to work today because they have to. Or certainly a lot of days. There are days, even if you like your job, there's lots of days you'd rather, if you had your choice, you'd skip today. But you go because you're forced to. That's just reality. Like I said yesterday, it's like being angry at baldness or gravity or... or or death and taxes. I mean, just things that are part of the human condition. It, it seems as crazy as objecting to the fact that you have to pause once in a while to relieve yourself. This is such a waste of time. It's so stupid. I hate it. What are you talking about? It's a condition of being an animal, of being human. Feeding yourself is a different one. Bye bye. Got this email. Chock full of great... Uh, did we want to run any more of those uh, clips? Oh, I'm kind of digging what the guy has to say. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm think, fine with it. I we got a great email about it, but go ahead. I think Jesse gets into him a little bit here. The what do you think is like a work. good work day? How many hours is, is you know, a solid work day in, in your ideal right. society? Uh, sure. I mean, I think as much as people want. I mean, I personally uh, work. I have, I have like a 20, 25-hour work weeks, which I think is fairly good. Um, so I would like less work hours. Um, and what I do you do, Doreen? Go, uh, I'm a dog walker. A dog walker. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. I want to hear a little more from this guy and then comment. Go ahead. And how? Uh, yeah. So how I old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Sure, I'm 30. You're 30. Okay. And is there something you want to do besides being a dog walker? Do you aspire to do anything more than dog walking, or is that kind of your your pinnacle? Uh, I, I love working with dogs. If I had to do this for the rest of my life, you know, I wouldn't be super complaining. You know, dogs are wonderful animals. Uh, but I I would love to teach. Uh, I would love to, um, you teach. know, uh, work with. 
work with people and well, stuff like that. What would that. you yeah. teach, Dorian? Uh, a philosophy, mostly. Philosophy. Just philosophy, <laughs> critical thinking, reason, stuff like that. Oh, boy, critical Ding. thinking and reasoning. Uh, uh, so my question would have been to the guy, and maybe Jesse Waters got into this later, is... How much are you making? I mean, because it's almost impossible that he's a 30-year-old dog walker who works 20 hours a week, and he isn't either getting supported by a government check. He's either being supported by a taxpayer or mommy and daddy. Guaranteed. There's no way he's supporting himself as a dog walker on 20 hours a week. Or he has lots of roommates and lives an incredibly austere lifestyle, but he didn't mention that. But the first part of uh, how many hours a day should people work? Well, as many as they want to. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm talking with a child. Why am, I, continu- Why am right. I continuing to have this conversation? Armstrong and Getty. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Does the Prime Minister think there are any circumstances in which he should resign? (laughs) Mr. Speaker, clearly, if the... Uh, if there were circumstances in which I felt it was uh, impossible for the government to go on and discharge uh, the mandate uh, that we've been given, uh, or if I felt, for instance, that we were being frustrated in our desire to support the Ukrainian people, uh, or, uh, or over some major point, uh, then I would. But, but frankly, Mr. Speaker, the job of a Prime Minister in difficult circumstances when he's been handed a colossal mandate is to keep going, and that's what I'm going to do. So that's Boris Johnson. He looks like he may be on his way out. He's the Prime Minister of Great Britain, if you don't know that. Trying to salvage yesterday and getting heckled and whatever. I've got, I'm, I'm trying to work a theme here, trying to fit this all together, and I think I can. So, um, Henry Kissinger's got a new book out. If you're old enough, you remember the name. If you're uh, not, he's 99 years old. He was the second. He has a new book out? Yeah. I don't know if you've heard him interviewed. He doesn't seem to have lost anything mentally at age 99 wow. Ooh. which it's is a gift. yeah i'd say so and you know he's a 
pretty deep thinking guy his whole life. Anyway, he was a secretary of state and a national security advisor, I guess, with uh, with with Nixon. He's the oldest living cabinet member at 99. You're the oldest living. Lots of things. Anyway, he's got a new book out about world leaders, and uh, he was interviewed by the USA Today and asked if he sees any transcendent leaders during these times, these troubled times in the world, and he said no, and it's painful. Uh, in fairness to the current leaders, they I'm talking about Boris Johnson, Joe Biden, Macron, any of these people. In fairness to the current leaders, they haven't quite had the occasion yet either, but he went on to say, you could argue, and I would argue, that great leaders make the occasion, which is a pretty good point. But he basically just says our world needs better leaders right now. We're going through a tough time, and we need better leaders. I would say that we have had some small figures on the world stage uh, recently. Let me read a little more here. I thought it was interesting because he was um, he was appointed to the White House in 1969, only a couple of years before Joe Biden became a U.S. senator. So that's Ooh. the age group we're dealing with here. Wow, we need younger leaders. I don't know about better. But, but we have asked lots of people, our old news guy, Marshall Phillips. Uh, in, anytime we talk to somebody older, I always like to ask, you know, where where does this time fit in with uh, the 60s? Because the 60s, I, I was too young to really, you know, really be fully immersed in what was going on in 68. But uh, from what I read of it, pretty tumultuous time. Lots of people getting assassinated, bombings every day, Vietnam War, et cetera, et cetera. Cities burned. Henry Kissinger not only lived through it, but he was a part of the decision-making at the time. Uh, and he's talking about the Vietnam War and John F. Kennedy and the uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and all these different things that happened in the, the 60s. Kissinger sees parallels to the international challenges of that time and this one. Once again, it is a tale first of exuberant confidence generating overextension and then of overextension giving birth to debilitating self-doubt. Once again, in almost every region of the world, the United States confronts major interlocking interlocking challenges to both its strategies and its values that has led to renewed potential for catastrophic confrontation. The present age is unmoored, which is a scary thought from a man who's considered to be one of the great thinkers in geopolitical uh, thinking for, you know, over many, many decades that we uh, there's potential for catastrophic confrontation. And obviously that is true. The challenges now are a little bit worse than it was then, which I think is interesting. He's not going with, uh, yeah, I think this was bad. You should have lived through the 60s. No, he's saying it's worse now than it was then because then our critics were part of the same system. What is happening now is the debate is about the worthiness of America, whether America and what kind of America is worth it to conduct policy. That makes the dialogue even harder than it was then in terms of our internal debate. That's Ah. right. You didn't have a split of, is America even a good country? Would the world be better off without it? That conversation was not really happening on a large level um, back then. I found that pretty interesting. So you got a guy who knows a lot about it saying this is a, a, a more difficult time now than then. And Unmoored uh, is not a good expression during troubled times. You like to be moored. No, it's not. And that might be the reason for these uh, poll numbers that came out over the weekend. So Gallup had their most recent survey. We have record low numbers for the president, for the Supreme Court, and for Congress. Lowest numbers of confidence in these institutions we've ever had. Uh, The Supreme Court has dropped 15 points. The presidency, 11 points. Congress always was sucky, but has gone down also. The confidence in Congress is at 7%. (laughs) Oh, 
Wow. That's shocking. The presidency in the Supreme Court in the 20s, which is not good either. True international over depression. And as Joe and I always point out, different people have different reasons for not having confidence in these institutions. You know, there'd be a big chunk of people that say the Supreme Court is not conservative enough. Big chunk that would say it's, you know, like the president said, some sort of extremist conservative Supreme Court, et cetera, et cetera. And then right track, wrong track, also a new record. The Monmouth Poll, which is a respected polling organization, is out. Ten percent of Americans say the country is headed in the right direction. Eighty-eight percent think it's on the wrong track. That is a record low for the poll. Wow. eighty. So nearly 9 out of 10 Americans believe we're on the wrong track as a country, and our three branches of government are all are at all-time lows in terms of our belief in them. And what do you say the approval rating is for Congress? 7%. You 7%. What would it take for you to say Congress isn't doing such a good job? What are your standards exactly? Would they have to be running a dogfighting ring or something? I mean, I just uh, what are you what 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 do you picture Congress being like? And they're meeting your expectations. Uh, if they were openly agents for the Chinese communists, would that be enough? I mean, they don't legislate. They don't solve any problems. They just run around trying to get more Instagram followers. They're liars and hypocrites. They they just fundraise. That's all they do. Yeah. Um, but this, that's, that's a troubled situation for the country and for the world. And one of the reasons it's troubling that, that the world is troubled is that the dominant force on the planet is so troubled. Uh, the, the world has got to be more ordered when the United States is more powerful and got its act together. But yeah, yeah. I thought, thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, well, I, th- I think that all fits together for a pretty interesting stew of the situation we're currently in. These are the spicy times indeed. Yes. Well, speaking of a stew of discontent, we've made reference to these numbers a couple of times, so I went ahead and grabbed them. Uh, Steve from Eugene, Oregon uh, wrote, When you identify Oregon as a hotbed of leftism, make sure you're pointing almost 100% to Portland, not the rest of the state. Although he says in Eugene we have our own little hotbed here as well. Uh, so, you know, fair enough. Much like other vast blue states, Washington, California, uh, geographically speaking, most of the state is red, but, you know, in the densely populated blue blue areas is enough to turn the state quote-unquote blue but anyway beautiful uh tree-lined oregon in portland hotbed of liberalism snurdly just eight percent of residents think the city is on the right track eight percent uh east of the cascade mountains nine counties are so fed up with the democratic control of the state they voted to leave the state to join idaho they've actually done it they can't do it probably because of the state constitution, I'm guessing, but they've already voted for it. Uh, they've had only Democrats serving as Oregon's governor since 1987, uh, but the party is in so much trouble in this mid-year's midterm elections that even Deep Blue Oregon is suddenly competitive. Again, that, we mentioned yesterday that the current Governor Brown is, has the lowest approval rating of any governor in the country. Yep, correct. Uh, and she's a good dyed-in-the-wool progressive who I assumed had the support of Portlandians, but even the New York Times is acknowledging that Portland, like many other cities in the U.S., yeah, well, especially Portland, has seen a rise in homelessness and violent crime. Visiting the city's downtown in recent years has been an exercise in navigating its sprawling homeless encampments, an issue that polling shows is top of the mind for the state's voters. 
Homicides jumped to at least 90 last year from 36 in 2019. And Kate Brown, a Democrat, in her final term as America's least popular governor, according to morning uh, consult polling, Biden's approval rating is 15 points underwater, despite his having won the state by 16 points. Wow. That's something. Yeah. Yeah. I busted my neck. (laughs) That was back in his young, coherent days. Trying to find that actual number of approval rating for uh, Kate Brown. That's too bit too much. That Portland number is really interesting because, you know, like most of Portland is left. It's run by a left government for them to have a seven percent right track number or whatever you said it was. That's that's astounding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's eight percent for the city. Um, You know, my hope is my thought is that the. I'm going to be charitable. I'm going to try to be more charitable going forward. The well-meaning policies of progressive types who thought their stuff would work have proved utterly ineffective at dealing with the challenges of the cities. I mean, counterproductive at best. Um, and and I think more and more people are are waking up to it. And I would say to my progressive friends, um. Uh, or I've been wrong myself before, and and the honorable thing to do is admit it and and say that didn't work. Just the to way claim I claim that's not what you meant. Deny having ever said it in exactly. spite of videotape, uh, <laughs> clearly proving you did. You know, Kate Brown is underwater by about thirteen points, which is not that bad. I thought it was going to be worse, according to the morning consult poll. Uh, but she has 41% approval rating. I was surprised to see Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, who I think is just an awful would-be dictator, uh, has got 50% approval rating. It's 50-46, so it's close. Most popular governors in the land, Jack? Curious? Sure. I hope so, because I'm about to tell you. Uh, Charlie Baker, who's a Republican in blue-blue Massachusetts, has enormous approval ratings. 74% approval. Hmm? Phil Scott, Republican in Vermont. 72%. Larry Hogan, Republican in Blue Blue, Maryland, 71%. Jim Justice, and this is a morning consult poll. This is not a, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis poll or something like that. Uh, Jim Justice, Republican in West Virginia, next. Asa Hutchinson, Republican in Arkansas, next. Chris Sununu, Republican in New Hampshire. Spencer Cox, Republican in Utah. Kay Ivey, Republican in Alabama. Mark Gordon, Republican in Wyoming. Doug Bergram, Republican in North Dakota. Mike DeWine, Republican in Ohio. Finally, Andy Bashir, who's a Democrat in charge of Kentucky, has 59% approval rating. Ron DeSantis, where is he? Oh, there he is in Florida. Uh, 56% approval rating, but only 38 disapproval. So he's 18% to the positive. That's pretty strong. And that's you can a, mount a run for the, the big house and, that, from there. And that's a state that's, you know, as we all know, 50-50 R&D. So to be above 50% is, uh, is, is something. Um, uh, that, that's interesting. That's all interesting. Starting yeah. with my Henry Kissinger saying the world is more troubled than it was in the 60s which I've been asking that question for a long time. I'll, I'll take his answer as pretty authoritative. And, uh, yeah, and then the, the, all the all those record low numbers for people's attitudes about our own country. Armstrong and Getty. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. 
That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Tune in and I depression. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So uh, we used to occasionally do a feature ad on the show that I think we called uh, Colorful Hick Theater, in which some uh, rural American would be caught up in a news story, perhaps be the news story, and uh, bring you their, their colorful hickey quotes. Uh, I guess that's what we're doing here. Do we have theme music for this, Michael? Welcome to Armstrong and Getty's Colorful Hick Theater. This morning, featuring one James Nix of, where's he from? Do we know? Coon Holler. Somewhere hickish. Let's roll the report. Clip number 11. Nick says the rooster followed him and attacked him. His neck flares up, and he's doing his thing, and he's trying to jump up at me. He was trying to get the animal away. And I tried to hit it, but the chicken's jumping up at me, and I accidentally knocked it in the head. You know, call it a lucky shot, whatever. But when Dave Felice came home, all he saw was his rooster dead in a ditch. I said, I'm calling JSO. I called JSO. JSO didn't do nothing. Then a couple days later, I, I realized I could call animal control. And in late June, James Nix went to jail for animal cruelty. Really? Next thing you know, he calls the chicken police on me. While the neighbors continue the fight, Nix says he never should have been arrested. Chickens are dying every day, people, at churches, Popeyes, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. He's right. <laughs> How many million chickens are slain every day in America? I'll look that up, because that's pretty silly. Called the chicken police. It's Jacksonville, Florida, by the way, is where this oh. is going on. So JSO is probably Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. And then when I killed a chicken. Chicken. <laughs> I love the way chicken. Chicken. What's, what's clip 12? That's, that's new, isn't it? Is that more? I didn't know to give it a 21-gun salute. CPR? Mouth-to-mouth? You know, or call the chicken ambulance? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Wow, that's a tough one now. I, I, he went I haven't to talked jail? to the cops. I, 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 originally, I thought the story was okay. The guy who owned the rooster was unhappy, and I don't know why you're unhappy. Get a different rooster. Who freaking cares? Um, but the guy actually who killed the rooster actually went to jail. By the way, there are 24 million chickens slaughtered every day in America. 24 million a day. Barbaric. And this guy went to jail for shooting a rooster? 
insurrection. Wow. Well, no, he, he whacked it over the noggin oh, yeah. with a stick. I, I with shot. a stick. Lucky shot. I don't know. I killed a chicken. Chicken. <laughs> I got that confused with my story. I shot a rooster who attacked my son in the same way, and I went out in the barn and shot it with a shotgun. Well, so is, maybe somebody's lying. I haven't talked to the cops in this uh, deal, which I'm sure they're just delighted to be spending their time on this quote-unquote crime. Maybe the guy's just a liar, and he was mad at the other dude and, and murdered his chicken, but... I mean, if the facts are at all as the overly serious reporterette was framing them, that this guy got attacked by an aggressive rooster, because right. that happens. Sure. Well, then, yeah, I'm bashing its skull in. It's a little chicken head. My dad would call it a nervous rooster. You don't want a nervous rooster. Hmm. Um, because uh, they will, uh, they'll attack you. See, I feel like I need to hear that first clip again, where the guy describes uh, how it all went down. I thought that was pretty good. Nick says the rooster followed him and attacked him. His neck flares up, and he's doing his thing, and he's trying to jump up at me. He was trying to get the animal away. And I try to hit it, but the chicken's jumping up at me, and I accidentally knocked it in the head. You know, call it a lucky shot, whatever. But when Dave Felice came home, all he saw was his rooster dead in a ditch. I said, I'm calling JSO. I called JSO. JSO didn't do nothing. Then a couple days later, I, I realized I could call animal control. And in late June, James Nix went to jail for animal cruelty. Next thing you know, he calls the chicken police on me. While the neighbors continue the fight, Nick says he never should have been arrested. Chickens are dying every day, people, at churches, Popeyes, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's a travesty of justice right there. If your dog attacks me and I kick it and it dies, I didn't do anything wrong. And if your rooster attacks me and I hit it and it dies, I didn't do anything wrong. So this guy picks off a chicken, he goes to jail. If you're in San Francisco or L.A., you don't go to jail for armed robbery, hardly. Right. There's something missing from this story. There's got to be. Well, I think our colorful hick may be covering up the real facts. Well, who's the weak act that calls the sheriff's department and his rooster gets clocked? Well, now, wait a minute. You're, you're making an assumption that the young Mr. DeFelice, whose uh, pet rooster was the, uh, the decedent, um, he thinks it wasn't self-defense. I'm thinking James Nix is actually a vicious and vengeful, non-colorful hick and, and had some sort of personal beef with, with Jason and decided to murder his chicken. Yeah, well, then you owe me $8 is the end of this story or whatever a freaking rooster is worth, which ain't much. Wow, listen to you trying to cover up your, really trying to assuage your own conscience for your crimes of the past. And I, I, not wanting to talk about when my dogs on four separate occasions murdered chickens, leading to the divorce with one of them. Mm. One of the dogs went to live in a field somewhere? Well, no, no, he went to, to with a different owner who needed a watchdog. Who wanted a murderous a, dog who killed a chickens. A suburban chicken murdering dog. Mm. Killed all the chickens. <laughs> chicken. Chicken. <laughs> Keep f***ing that chicken. Chicken. Oh, easy. National Fried Chicken Day. Number one fried chicken retailer in America is the fabulous Chick-fil-A. Oh, no. Nobody eats there, according to the woke people. Everybody loves it. Go yeah. there. Cheapo Air. For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. 
Facebook on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.